Before you ask the question, I just want to say, now nobody asked Ron any hard questions. <laughs> so go ahead. Okay, I'll try to. Uh, very, very good, and I really appreciate that you took things to their logical conclusion and you showed the different ways it could have been broken. One of the things in talking to those that believe this is uh, they say that the person waiting on the table does the act, and I said, does the act of crucifying Christ, of breaking his body, in order for it to qualify the difference, in order to make it representative of the body of Christ. Uh, it's not the prayer, it's the breaking, which I thought was an interesting kind of view. Uh, some don't think that, but I think some do. But one of the things that was interesting, I said, did Jesus partake? And like you said, that's, that's a valid question. Did Jesus partake of the Lord's Supper? And you, throw, you showed through implication that he did. And this person said, no, he did not. He would not be someone who practices um, uh, eating someone else. I mean, uh, cannibalism. They said that would be Jesus being cannibalistic. Well, I thought that was a, a weird argument, uh, first of all, that Jesus would not partake in his breaking. He just did that in order for it to be symbolism. But the fact of the matter is, is he ate the Passover. Would that not also be symbolic cannibalism? Did that represented the Lamb of God? And that would be uh, it, Jesus eating of himself as well, symbolically. And so my point is, is his, Jesus's eating is not cannibalistic. The symbolism of the, of the lamb he partook and the bread he partook as well, because it wasn't the breaking that made the symbolism. It was him saying, this is my body and this is my blood. But I just wondered, have you heard some similar ideas? Yeah, I came across that in something that I read. Um, some of you have shared some things with me that's kind of helped me on this topic. It's frankly, I didn't know much about it, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, before I had this study. Uh, relative to the churches of Christ's practice on this, but um, you know, to call that cannibalism to me uh, seems to almost smack a little of transubstantiation. It's as if to say that if Jesus ate that bread, that he was eating his own flesh, and he was not eating his own flesh; he was eating bread. But you know, the the, the Catholic position of transubstantiation is that when Jesus said, "This is my body," that it became his physical body. And uh, that, I don't know, that just doesn't hold water to me. It seems like, like you said, a strange argument. And seems the, the strange part of it is that it makes, uh, it makes the bread the physical body of Christ. You don't commit cannibalism until you eat someone's flesh. So I, I don't know. I don't think that holds. That's just my view. I don't think that holds water. Well, well, I, and did I understand the question? No, you did. I think that that's a valid, that's a valid point. It's... It's the fact that it's been proclaimed or symbolically proclaimed. It's not actually made the body of Christ, like transubstantiation, like you said. Um, and also another point, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 16, 17, it shows the unity of the congregants or a, a congregation. There's some people say, say we partake of the Lord's Supper in the universal church rather than the local church. But that's not the case. That's not what's being talked about. And that's, he is talking about we who are many are one. 
because we all partake. In other words, it was those who were partaking of that one loaf. It had to be in a congregational capacity and in order to represent the one body of Christ and how they needed, the Jews and Gentiles needed to have unity and, you know, get the lesson mm -hmm. that Paul's trying to teach of unity on that occasion. So it, we don't partake of the Lord's Supper in a universal church. We take of the, of the Lord's Supper in a congregational capacity. Yes, the universal church has been the, the platter upon which many a thing has been carried, any, many an innovation has been carried into the church all the way back to the missionary society in the 19th century where uh, you make an argument based on the universal church and then change the practice of individual congregations on, on that basis. Now, I fail, I know, to emphasize when I pointed out 1 Corinthians that, uh, 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 that, that Paul's talking about congregational, like you were saying. I want to emphasize that, that when Paul's talking about the unity of the body with respect to the loaf in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking, yes, I'm just agreeing with Glenn, I'm repeating him. Since he made such a great point, I find it's so good, I'll make it myself, that, that, that it's the congregation that Paul has in mind there. So I'll stop with that. Appreciate it very much your excellent presentation. I, uh, when I was a small boy, I attended the bread-breaking church as a small child, and I've had some interaction with those people over the years. It's pretty good, interesting discussions with some of them. Uh, the Corinthian letter where it says this, in the King James Version where it says, this is my body which is broken for you. I've always thought that was probably one of their strongest arguments. That's one that I like to write the hardest is it just, it says broken there. And, but you know, we go back to Luke, uh, the 22nd chapter, and it says, this is my body which is given for you. The word broken mm -hmm. is not there. And I think that helps to pretty much interpret 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where he says uh, broken, which just would mean, as you say, uh, sacrificed or given. I think mm -hmm. the same implication there. Is that a pretty good argument, you think? I think so. Uh, you know, there's no indication that given in Luke is any way questionable textually. But a broken... You know, and again, none of us are textual text critics. We have to rely, just like if we don't translate, we have to rely on translators. If we're not textual critics, we have to rely on textual critics uh, on some of these things. And we used to be able to avoid the textual differences because we all read the same version and it was the King James. But these days, uh, you download an app with a Bible on it and it's got 40 or 50 or 150 translations. And some of those translations reflect these textual differences. And uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24 contains one of those, like I pointed out, uh, from all those, well, I won't try to find it, but, uh, but, uh, but I guess I'm, I'm I, the short answer is yes, I think that's a good argument. The body of Jesus Christ is given for us. We know that un, un, uh, unquestionably from, for, uh, from Luke chapter 22. Brother Brecky. Excellent presentation, David. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. I have seen another, at least one other translation that says to break off a piece oh, for cloud. I missed that one. Uh, and there in um, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, but I have not been able to find a translation that says break in half. Have you? No, I haven't seen one. Unless, unless you can take the NLT to mean he broke it in pieces. But to me, you know, and again, some of these interpretations of phrases, even in English, is somewhat subjective. When I hear broken in pieces, I think of breaking a coffee cup or, 
dropping a plate and broken pieces. And so, but anyway, uh, so no, I have not seen one. I think it's uh, significant that, you know, there's Greek words that could have been used to communicate break in two or break in half. Uh, Matthew 27, 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then the Septuagint of 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 25, which reads, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. That language could have been used in uh, any of those passages, but it wasn't. That, that's a good point. Yeah. Thanks, David. Enjoyed the talk very much. Just a question to see if you've encountered this, and I've not encountered this argument, but looking at that word cloud, um, it is the same word that's used in Matthew 14 and 15 when Jesus breaks the loaves and the fishes. And so have you run across that where someone might say, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious in Matthew 14 and 15, Jesus broke those into several pieces and they distributed to thousands. They yeah. didn't pass one loaf around or each piece around. So is that an argument that's been used to say that Jesus, not broken two, but went ahead and basically just divided this for the 12 and handed out? And if so, how, what would be the answer to yeah, that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I thought about that and um, it, it kind of goes back to what uh, some of what Ron was saying that uh, relative to translations is that, um, you know, whatever a word, uh, uh, the linguists say that a word does not have meaning by itself. A word has mean. you know, sometimes we say, well, this word means thus and such. But a word doesn't mean anything. If I use the word key, I'm getting to your question here. I'm taking the long route. But if I use the word key, K-E-Y, and just speak it, it could come up. Now, most of us are going to think of the little instrument we use to open our door. But that's just because that's probably the most common use of the word. But we use the word key to refer to the key of a song, or the key to open the door, or the Florida keys, or his key point is his main point. And these are different shades of meaning for the word key. And so we only know what key means by the way that it's used in a particular place. All right, so in Matthew 26, we're told that Jesus broke it. Now what we've tried to do is use different passages like I said, we go to the apostolic practice to see how they applied these verses, and Paul says, we break. So we know that more than one person broke. All right? So we pulled all these strands together, we tied them up like we said. Now, about the passage you're asking about, if you look closely at those passages, within the context of the word break in those passages, it also says they went and picked up the fragments. So Jesus did break those loaves in pieces. Now, we've all tried to visualize well, just how, how, how it was. He had five loaves, and he fed 5,000. When he breaks off those pieces, do, does it just keep getting bigger, or does it grow back right after he breaks it off? How does this happen? Well, we don't know. It's a miracle, and we weren't there. But we know that broke there means broken pieces because it says they picked up the fragments. But it doesn't have to mean broken in pieces, as the NLT demonstrates from Acts chapter 27, verse 35. Paul broke off a piece and ate. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Uh, I, I had the uh, privilege of studying with those uh, of the church that uh, 
would break the bread up, or as you said, uh, bread breakers. In my study with them, uh, they stated to me that as they would break the bread, they wouldn't partake of it first. It, it would be it wouldn't be hospitable in their terms. They could uh, it's it's already broken. They wouldn't partake of it first. The the one who was doing the table, but when it comes back around to the one who's leading, then they would partake of it. Now, if they if we stress, uh, you know, you know, this do. Um, would we, if they said, well, can you, can we, as the body of Christ or the one that's leading, could they wait to the end? If we're going to stress this do, we say Jesus done it, did he pass it? Does that make a difference? Uh, I mean, if we home in on one part of it, follow the example of what he did, would it be wrong not to partake of it first, the one leading the table oh, who is representing yeah. somewhat Christ. Well, I think I, I would not be comfortable as the brother waiting on the table to give thanks and then pass the loaf around and then take it for myself. Uh, I think that uh, you know, if we're going to if we're going to contend that we model the pattern and we're going to say that Jesus broke off a piece and ate and then gave it to them. I'm going to do that. Now, it's not because I think I'm in Jesus' shoes when I'm waiting on the table. It's just that, you know, as far as consistency with what the, the arguments are, are concerned, uh, is concerned, I would, I, would, I would not want to do that, and I, I would encourage anyone not to do that. Now, as far as them waiting till the wolf comes back around to the fellow officiating at the table, I, I confess, I, I really don't know that. I, I know that's the practice, at least in some of the churches, but I don't quite know why, frankly, and maybe someone here does, because I don't know all there is about this uh, practice, but it's kind of a little bit hard to find some of it. It took me a while to realize uh, where to find the answers, but because uh, I didn't have anything on it prior. But anyway, uh, that'd be my answer to that question. Brother Collins. Brother, great job. Um, I'll say this. In Matthew 26, Jesus took one undivided something, blessed it, <clears throat> broke a piece off of it, and gave one undivided something to his disciples and said, this is my body. You covered the picture of John 19 when they would not break a bone of his body. The body of Christ represented in 1 Corinthians 10 is such a powerful, not just an image, that is a, a battle cry almost of how unified the church should be as represented by that one bread. That was great, David. You convinced well, me. <laughs> well, you were the one I was worried about. <laughs> well, I was wondering, there's a lot of young preachers that are here and that listen to this material uh, through Christian Landmark and other places. Do you have some tracks or books that you would recommend as being particularly helpful on this topic? Yes, I do. In fact, uh, I was helped some by Glenn and by George Batty. And uh, I, got a, I got a file full of PDFs of old stuff that I'd be happy to share with anybody who wants it. Uh, 
oh, a couple of debates and uh, a couple of papers written by the other side on this issue. One of them was far better than the other, and just the writing was not so great in one of them. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I've got some different things, and I'd be glad to share it with anyone. I mean, I'm assuming now when brothers give me something by email, that gives me the liberty to pass it on. So, you know. So I already have my microphone, so I'll speak from here. Uh, if you play with a loaf of bread in your hand, the loaf he took is the loaf he blessed, is the loaf from which he partook, is the loaf he gave. So if we say, I can't let go of my loaf until Jesus did, you can't do all those things that people do. You can't start out with the loaf shattered. Uh, and the loaf he gave is the loaf he took. To do anything else than that destroys the meanings of the words. And whoever he gave it to had to take what he took. So it can be very helpful to just make a loaf, make a loaf of unleavened bread, or have somebody do it for you, and then say, we're going to do this. And ask somebody, how then can you tear the top off of a little thimble of grape juice and call that the Lord's Supper? Because it's, it's, not, it's not at all the same. So it's really simple, and I'm really simple. So it's, it's really simple. The loaf he took, the loaf for which he prayed, the loaf from which he partook is the loaf he gave, and who were proceeded beside him, that's the loaf they took. And we can all do that. Amen. Any other questions for Brother David? Yes, sir. Uh, oftentimes we use not as a main argument, but as an additional argument in support of what the scriptures teach, the argument from history. And we do that with instrumental music and with the Lord's Supper and individual cups. And this is something that um, these brethren make a point about, and they talk about, I think the Christian system has a record of what Alexander Campbell said in communicating the idea of breaking uh, the loaf in half. Um, mm -hmm. Would you care to comment on that? You know, on Mr. Campbell's? Or well, just on the, you know, how this is, the, the fact that they use, well, the argument from history, and they say that, you know, some of our people were, you know, breaking the loaf in half, and then they changed to where they weren't breaking the loaf in half, but breaking a piece off. Um, have you heard of that argument made? Well, I, I think I understand what you're saying. So um, I guess my response would, to that would be that, you know, a lot of times we have come to conclusions that we have out of controversy. And I think the cup issue has just sort of bled out into these other matters where we really had to think about and really contemplate what actually the scriptures are teaching here. Now some people criticize that and say, well, you know, you're advocating a practice that's never been advocated before. Well, we all know about that. That's the same argument with the cup. Now, you know, as far as breaking it in two, and I don't want to get too far away from your question, but in my mind when I hear the question, it reminds me of what Ron was talking about and applying cultural practice. And it seems like that there's a lot of effort to, to find some special uh, effort or some action in the, past, in the Lord's Supper accounts by appealing to Jewish practice in the Passover. 
And I don't know if that's where the original idea of breaking it in half came from, because I, you know, I've, we've all read about how the, the Passover is, you know, they did this with the loaf and they had these cups and all this. And frankly, a lot of that Passover practice seems anachronistic to the first century. So I'm kind of getting away from your question, but not at the same time. I just wonder where the idea, you know, Mr. Campbell, where did he get that idea? And I just wonder if it doesn't come from commentators in his era and prior where they just took a cultural Passover and just applied it and you know without really thinking about it and it really didn't come into focus until after the cup issue in the early 20th century I don't know that's my stab at it I'm taking a stab at it yeah I, I think the motivation and the change as something is is significant you know the change with the individual cups was not made because people were trying to get closer to what the scripture says, right? but that they were trying to appease people who were concerned about secular matters that had nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. And then of course, you know, I've mentioned when that question was brought up to me that, you know, things like infant baptism and uh, sprinkling, you know, go a lot farther back than what Campbell was doing. But ultimately what we need to do first is check the scriptures and that's the ultimate test. Again, I guess I repeat what I said at the start. I appreciate, thank you all very much for uh, asking me to do this. Uh, when you first asked me, I thought, yeah, I'd do that. And then I got to thinking about it and I thought, haven't we kind of already settled this question? But then as I studied it, I realized, you know, maybe we, maybe we do need to always go back and look at these issues again and again. Because I learned a lot myself by studying this and I appreciate you all uh, bringing this topic into the discussion. And thank you for letting me do it.